Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans. This is episode 33. Showcases are underway. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. Before we get started, you are already here and listening to the show, but have you followed the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter? Have you subscribed to the show on Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Castro, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube? Perhaps you have yet to rate the show on your platform of choice. I might be biased, but a five-star rating and glowing comments will be appreciated. If you have not already, take a moment while listening to do so. It is a quick search of Let's Talk XFL on the media platforms with the handle at Let's Talk XFL. If you are also interested, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter by typing in the handle at XFL Mike. By doing so and interacting with each of the show's platforms help to keep you up to date with the show and league developments. It also helps the show's algorithm ratings to reach more like-minded XFL fans. Unfortunately, there was minimal league news this week. However, the XFL showcases are in full swing. On Sunday, I was fortunate to attend the Florida Showcase in Bradenton. I was given access to some key XFL staff members, and I will share those conversations in a short while. In addition, later in the show, I will be joined by former New York Guardians tight end Jake Sutherland to discuss his XFL journey. But first, we have some XFL developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On June 16th, the XFL announced its partnership with Breakaway Data. The high-performance sports company leverages cutting-edge technology and data insights to help athletes and coaches optimize performance, training, recovery, and player health. The XFL will utilize Breakaway's full suite of products and advisory services, including its athlete data software, player biomechanic assessments, and its athlete management system to enhance XFL player development and technology strategy. Breakaway's technologies will be used at the league's summer showcases. Breakaway will serve as an extension of the XFL's enterprise technology team by helping to formulate and build a comprehensive next-generation player data strategy. This includes an advisory role in evaluating and onboarding new football tech partners that align with football operations. As part of this relationship, Breakaway will build new products fueled by player data and will strengthen player development, empower peak athlete performance, and unlock fan engagement experiences. Breakaway Data CEO David Anderson addressed the partnership with the following. The data we collect for athletes in the Breakaway app is their personal scoreboard to measure progress and get the most out of themselves every day. The age of the athlete data ownership is long overdue. It's fitting that the XFL, a league known for its innovation, 
is now giving players the ability to look deep within themselves and understand everything about their performance through the lens of data. It is a new way of doing things, a better way of doing things. I find this development fascinating. Analytics and sports science has recently taken the sports world by storm. We know the XFL brand has always been committed to innovation, but this is intriguing. The fact that the players will own their own data in a way that has never been seen before could lead to more self-awareness and polished athletes. I like the inclusion of breakaway data at the showcases. By incorporating the technology early into the XFL process, league staff will become more familiar with it and will ultimately be able to seamlessly transition and optimize the data come training camps and the 2023 season. Then, on June 17th, the XFL held its first showcase at the University of Maryland, which was followed by their second showcase on June 19th at IMG Academy in Bradington, Florida. Fortunately, as a member of the media, I was able to attend the showcase in Bradington, where I ran into my old friend and writer Greg Parks from XFL Board. Although the league somewhat limited our interaction with league staff, I was able to interview five key XFL staff members. As I had mentioned earlier, I will be sharing my Q&As from the Florida Showcase. Prior to our media session, the league's public relations representative mentioned off-limits line of questioning, which I respected. In some of these recordings, you will also hear Greg Parks' interviews. Thankfully, he was kind and allowed me to use his interactions. I was first given access to the XFL Senior Vice President Player Personnel, Doug Whaley. Here is our conversation. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. At a glimpse, the showcase looks very similar to the NFL Combine. Mm -hmm. How does the uh, XFL showcases differ from the NFL Combine, and how do those differences benefit the coaching staffs? In evaluating the talent, there's some base baseline drills and measurements you want to get, like the 40, the height, weight, hand and arm, stuff like that. And what we've decided to do different night is instead of doing arm length, we wanted to do punch length because football players play with punching. Offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, they don't have like this. So, that so we changed the arm length to punch length. So from here, the knob of the shoulder to the wrist. And that's how we're going to make subtle differences. But the 40, the three-count short shuttle, those are really similar. But what we're doing with breakaway data, those type of position-specific drills that are being timed and analyzed, and we'll have skeleton structure uh, laid over their, their movement in camera, and then we can actually get automated times with it so the point being is you can go scouting is a lot of subjectivity so you and i can look at a guy and say oh he did that very well okay we both see it's very well but what's the difference between your well and my well well we can go to breakaway data and say well your well is 0.2 seconds my well is 0.19 seconds and that's how you can differentiate guys that are very similar speaking of breakaway data we have a good mixture of coaching experience the newer guys, I can see it being very cool technology, easy to incorporate into their game planning. How is it being accepted by Coach Wade Phillips and Jim Haslett? They're, they're really into it because what when you look at it, football's really the game is not going to change. But what you're trying to do is find little ways or little markers that can help benefit you to get an edge. And these things are, that's how you present it to them. And then when you get them thinking that way is, okay, well, your linebacker 6'2", 250, and runs a 4'4". This other linebacker 6'2", 250, runs a 4'4". 
what's in there that's going to separate him? Or as a as a game planning, well, hey, this guy's coming off the edge on third down. Let's make sure we chip him because he's got the fastest edge. So those are the type of things when you present it to him like that, not like, hey, this is a new total way to think about it. No, it's using what you think and what's important in football, but making it better, giving you information to make better decisions. How is it received by the players? I think for me and from what I've noticed, it's been received greatly because nowadays players are used to having data tracking. They're used to having uh, Catapult or all those tracking devices because they understand in the long run it's going to help them with their performance, either helping them get to peak performance, helping them stave off injury, and helping them to come back from injury quicker. So they understand the technology is really to get them to be at their highest output level. While the showcases are getting underway, we are starting to see some committed showcase participants posting on their social media feeds that they're receiving offers from Major League Football. Have you had any conversations in the lead-up just explaining potential concerns and the risks of what that could mean with contract issues? With Major League Football? or With the players here, if, oh, okay. if they're potentially going to be We, we haven't. Yeah, what, what, what we're doing now is this is the information gap. Process. So we'll take the film evaluation, showcase evaluations, and then our DPPs will come in and they'll send us a list and say, hey, I want to make sure these guys are in the draft pool. So right now, everybody's really working league-wide. We're doing league scouting to populate that draft pool. And then once the, uh, we solidify the rest of the coaching staff, uh, probably into September, early October, then that's when people transfer to team scouting, and that's when they will go in and start building their own draft boards. But now it's really a macro level to try to get the best talent into the league. As so all coaches staffs are working together to get the right information to be yeah. eventually evaluated. Eventually evaluated. Team so everybody's on the same page, starting the league from scratch, and so there's no advantage like, oh, well, I like this guy, but I'm not going to show our my hand by letting other people know. No, hey, everybody's got uh, options to look at these people in the draft. Which kind of takes another question off the board because I noticed there's only five coaches participating, and I was wondering, well, is this going to create some sort of competitive advantage? But obviously not because everyone's working together and sharing the same information. Exactly. So that takes care of that question. My other question is we've also seen on social media that some players are starting to mention that they're received draft invites. Is that something we're already working on, potentially contracts tying people in? Yeah, we haven't finished the contracts, but what we wanted to do is some guys that we identified, especially in the 22 draft classes, guys that were invited to rookie mini camps as invitees. We did some extensive work on them in the spring, so we were like, these are the type of guys we want our league, so we've sent them letters to say, hey, listen, if you sign this, you will automatically be in our draft pool. More information to follow with contract status and such. Thank you for your time. No, no problem. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Have a good one. Too. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Eventually, I had the opportunity to talk with a few of the league's head coaches. Here is my conversation with Anthony Becht. Okay, uh, Anthony, um, when you have 240 players as you do out here at DC, what's the process for you as a head coach to go through and evaluate these players and to make sure that you have the best possible players in the draft pool from November? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just kind of trying to shave down the list. I mean, there's a lot of guys that want to show their talents. I think a lot of the coaches here, obviously, that played the game at a high level know what guys should look like, move, and, and the different types of things that they're doing. 
you know, we can we can bring that list down and try to minimize. And then from there, we can go back if we have a check mark or a plus or anybody's doing it. We can go back, watch some film, correlate it with some of the times, and then uh, you know try to evaluate it and, and get that list to where it can be you know usable for the draft uh, in, in November. Um, from the outside, uh, there were expectations that you may hire a couple really experienced veteran coordinators. Instead, you went with coaches that, like you, have extensive pro playing experience, but maybe a limited amount of pro coaching experience. Can you talk about what went into the, to the decision to select your coordinators? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think you know, playing the game was important to me. These guys have coaching experience. Uh, they're sharp. I know them. I know what they can bring to the table. They're great people. They're good with people, and they know how to deliver a message. Uh, you know, Bruce has done an excellent job of just staying in the game. He's very tapped in and tied in to a lot of head coaches in the NFL. And, uh, you know, he's been grading a lot of the quarterbacks and offenses over the last couple of years along with coaching. Donnie, to me, is one of the sharpest, uh, one of the better DBs that really played in a six-year span that he was in Tampa. Uh, pretty impressive numbers uh, since 1995. On, I did a little study of one of the better DBs interception-wise over that time. Knows how to play the game. He's a great coaching style. You know, he's uh, even demeanor, but very good just relaying the message to the players. And I've, been, I've known Donnie for a long time, so you know, playing you know quarterback for two with Bruce is important. He's, a, he's been a backup for most of his career. Uh, you know, he sees the game a little differently, playing the game as well, being out there, but also the systems he's been in and how he can do a lot of multiple things, and then of course how we can make it you know usable so that we can teach the guys over a five week training camp period. So. I'm excited for them. Uh, the cities where we go will be excited when they see these guys, and I can't wait to you know continue to work with them. You posted a video on social media before the first showcase, just kind of giving your tips on what players can do to show out to you. We're one and a half showcases in now. Uh, have you seen that so far from these guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, come out, learn instruction, do it right, and just finish. You know, practice, play and practice, do all the drills hard. Uh, I mean, look, I'm out there watching everybody. I'm not trying to miss any player. I want to see every numbered player that's out there do something. And I might only catch you one or two times. If I do, you know, what's your lasting memory going to be outside of me moving on and watching you on film and get some uh, more information on you? So just, you know, if you just do the little things right, it's going to stick out for me because that's, at the end of the day, that's all we can ask for, at least for my team, is doing all the details, getting where they need to be, following instructions, and have great hustle and great finish. I mean, that's a great start for me as far as evaluating these guys. Yeah, you got it. Anthony, out of all the XFL head coaches, you have perhaps the most intriguing resume. What made this opportunity with the XFL the right fit and the right moment? Yeah, well, you know, uh, timing is everything for me. Uh, I've always loved and had a passion for coaching. You know, back into my career, I was really a coach in the in those teams that I played for, galvanizing young tight end groups and, and being leaders for teams, for coaches that I've known, you know, kind of worked their way up the ladder in, in the league. Um, you know, I think the media side is, is something that I treated almost like preparing for a game. I really took that uh, as a seven-day-week job. Um, you know, I learned how to you know study the film, get more immersed in the college game for eight years, and it's really helped me uh, because I really didn't follow much of it when I played uh, in the NFL. Uh, was working with the NFL, mentoring players when they retired, transitioning. I think all of that together was kind of a good formula for what they wanted uh, in the league. Danny Garcia, Dwayne. And Redbird, as far as one of their options for a coach. And uh, you know, like I said, the opportunity was right for me. It kind of worked out well, and I sold my vision, and, uh, and they liked it. And it kind of matched up what they wanted it to be. So uh, totally excited, humbled for the opportunity, 
definitely from an experience standpoint, this is obviously my first go around as a head coach. But you know, being a leader of men, a CEO of men, uh, you know, regimented, detailed, and knows knows the game in and out, this is a perfect opportunity for me. Your background is unique, as we have discussed. How does each of those experiences strengthen your ability to lead players and groom them into the best version of themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, when you're a head coach, I mean, you know, we, we're, we all know the game of football. We know we know all of that stuff. It's can you deal with people on a day-to-day basis? And it's not just players, it's coaches. It's uh, people that work within the organization, getting everybody to buy into a singular goal. Um, you know, that's a strength I have. And I just embody that, embrace that. And the different things that I've done since I've retired from the game, uh, have really helped me and hone those things in. And I think that's an important quality when you're talking about leading a, you know, a crew of, of men or you know, in the business world, anything that may be. I mean, it starts with that. you got to get people to kind of run through a wall and buy your message. And that's going to be important. So uh, hopefully that's something that I bring to the table early and uh, you know, my guys will buy in. And, and I'm looking forward to meeting my players and getting that going and getting my staff together and, and making it the best organization possible. Recently on WDAE's Pat and Aaron show, you mentioned Bruce and yourself are in the process of drafting your playbook. Can we anticipate both of your high school offensive coordinator experiences influencing style we've not seen in professional football? I think the one thing that, you know, coaching at the high school level is simplicity. And I think that's something that we've, you know, we've come from these systems with a lot of verbiage and, and we've come from systems that, you know, have a lot of different keywords and, and some similarities through different variations throughout our time in the NFL. And then when we came and, you know, became play callers at a smaller level, it's not how you shrink it down. I really think at this level as well, you got to do the same thing. You know, the, the playcock's going to be quicker. This game's going to be faster. you got to be able to organize and get guys to learn the system quickly because, we, you know, training camp's not going to be that long. And we got to get them to operate at a high level and play fast. And uh, we're, we're putting that together now. Bruce is doing a lot of late work. You know, he's got a nice mixture of NFL, college, everything. We try to get the best pieces together so that when we put the whole playbook together, guys can learn it quick, guys can play fast, and, you know, hopefully that electrifies our offense. That's, that's the key. I'm not trying to go in there and, you know, score two points a game and, and win. You know, I'm trying to go out there and score. And, uh, you know, we got some great defensive coaches and, not, and minds in this league as well, so it's going to be a challenge every week, but that's the goal. You've previously mentioned you look forward to establishing a rapport with your team's fan base. Yep. In the current iteration of the XFL, will operate differently than its predecessors. How will you develop rapport with your namesake community? Right, as soon as I can get to, uh, to the city I'll be in, I'm, I'm going to be excited about it and I want to go. I mean, uh, I want to be immersed myself with the fans, the community, um, and uh, I'm excited to meet everybody. You know, up to the season starting, training camp, pre, uh, pre-training camp, during the offseason. Just try to maximize my time. I have that flexibility to do those things. And, uh, you know, when we get into the season and we get to play our games, uh, I want the fans to, to know their players, their coaches, and I'm going to ha- I'm gonna have accessibility to do that. So that's something that uh, I think that's important. It may be a little different for, you know, coaches in the past, but me having that because, you know, a lot of guys sometimes just want to get in and out. But, listen, this is a brand new league from the, from the ground up. I want to make sure that people know what our vision is, what, our, what we're trying to accomplish. And I want them to buy in. I want them to be at the games. I want a full stadium as best I can every single week. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. You and Donnie Abraham go way back. How long did it take you to convince him to join you on this new adventure? I've been talking to Donnie for a long time. You know, Donnie's been at college level, uh, the high school level. He coached here at IMG, um, and uh, he's had some opportunities to you know to go to HBU schools. And uh, you know, I've been waiting for a moment where either he got a, a job, an opportunity, or we can kind of collaborate together. It just happened to be that you know I was in a position to bring him in, and I, you know he's the first guy I called. Uh, 
Donnie played this game at a high level. One of the best defenses in the, in the NFL history during the time with the Buccaneers. Uh, he was an integral part of that. And, um, you know, his coaching style is, is something that I really like. Uh, he understands the game in and out. And I think guys are going to really understand his style because, you know, he's, you know he's, he's all about precision details. And I love the fact that, you know, he's got a DB background. I think the DBs, as we watch them, you know, the last decade or so, maybe kind of lost a little bit of kind of that – the, that, that true style of some of the, the techniques and things that some of our head coaches played at. So I want to get back to that, the details of, of that position. I think that's going to be important in this uh, in this league because, you know, let's face it, you know, the quarterbacks are, are going to be coming into a, uh, an opportunity here that they haven't had yet at the next level, professional level, some of them maybe. And uh, if we can take advantage of that in the secondary and, and get some of those early footballs uh, loose from some of those QBs and teams, that would be great. Be told to wrap it up. You're needed. Okay. Thank yeah, you. you got it. All right. As a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, my discussion with Terrell Buckley was a tad bit more special. Here's our conversation. Yes, coach Buckley, how good does that feel to be a head coach? It's awesome. I'm, I've been waiting a long time to hear that. Head coach. And I've been in this, like most guys, I've been talking about it. I'll go back to high school. It's pretty good. High school, so I'm talking about eight, six. Feel like coaching for the teacher, not only about the player, but also the student. The XFL has an intriguing mixture of head coaches' experiences, and perhaps you're one of the most intriguing. Coach Beck, I think, is the most intriguing with his television times. So. No, I'm more Okay. <laughs> but since hanging up your cleats, you've been grinding it out in the college ranks. Preparing your professional career in your collegiate assistant coaching journey, what makes this moment the right for taking that next step as the head coach? The learning curve. I started out as a weight room school assistant, grad assistant, going to state, learning that what makes the program, what makes it different. Doing all that type of stuff. And then actually moving up and, okay, how can I get the players in? And I did an internship with the Steelers. Uh, so I went to the polar. Got a little bit of taste of that on the other side. So to me, it's, it's just like a, a natural progression. You and Tony Carter are fairly young defensive coaches. Do you know your Fairly young. In the grand I, I love them, yes. yes. With an abundance of secondary experience, though, was his appointment as defensive coordinator by design with a focus on combating the modern game's past heavy style? That and one of the brightest minds. You know, Tony is not only as a player, as a coach, as an instrument in putting the defenses, organizing practices, helping him play calling. And obviously, I've been knowing him since college. So he was my. Adjustment we want to make in this coverage if they get in this part of the field situation of football, then he makes adjustments. One last question because we know they're about ready to get started and I want you to miss out on it. 
You have limited experience coaching on the offense side of the game. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. Just how important is Robert Ford's appointment as offensive coordinator, and will you be fully turning over the offense? No, I, I am. I'll say head football coach. I am a football coach. Gotcha. I understand. You, you can't play defense if you're a And I think some of you think about the best coaches, even in today's game, Belichick, college, Nick say, quote unquote, defense. You, you are a head coach. And Coach Ford is getting his name wrong. So him uh, being a part of the staff and running the offense with Austin Wilson, it's, it's like a, being a natural progress. Thank you for your time, Coach. Thank you. Lastly, I was given access to Rod Woodson. Here's our conversation. I've asked all the coaches this, so I'll ask you this. When you have 204 to 250 players out here um, and you've got one set of eyes, how do you go about um, – you know, determining what players stand out to you. What's your process of trying to figure out what players should be going into the, the draft coming up? Well, I mean, the great thing is in modern technology, we do have film. Yes. <laughs> so I can't watch all of them today, yeah. but I can see them all. Yeah. Uh, today is more who kicks my eye, uh, ask for the side on. but then I'm going to go back and watch all of them because you never really know. So I, I think the great thing about modern technology is that we do have it all filmed. We get to go back in our own little cozy little rooms and take our time watching. You've got a director of player personnel in Joey Cleescales who returns from XFL 2020. How much of an advantage is that, if any, for you to have someone who's been through these kind of showcases already and, and things like that, if, if at all? Well, Joey and I go way Joey and I got drafted together with Pittsburgh in 87. We worked together with the Raiders. So we have a pretty good idea how we like to see talent together. Uh, I think that's the one we know that we are together, that we see the field, the, the game itself, very similar. Um, so having him in with me give us a we're calm with each other. What made this opportunity right for you at this time, becoming an XFL head coach, taking the leap to an alternative football league like this? What, what made this the right decision for you? Well, I mean, it's, it is an alternative league. It's a pro league. Um, obviously, everybody's dream is to play in the National Football League. Uh, being a coach in the National Football League, I know this league is needed mm-hmm. tremendously. Uh, it's a lot of guys who need to have a little bit more time at times to get to that big league. Uh, but then if they never make it, they can play in a league like this and still provide for the fans, but also have a platform to show their wares and if they have any type of, any type of causes they can get it out there. So, um, you know, for me, anybody who's ever coached always wants to be always want to be that guy. Right. So this is a great opportunity to be that guy, uh, to have my own group, um, to bring a bunch of friends together who all love ball and teach these guys how to be men and also how to be great in communities. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. You already answered a few of my questions, Coach, so I'll just jump ahead. When do you anticipate announcing your offensive coordinator and defensive coordinators? I already got them. Okay. Just can't say their name. I was going to say, and do you feel that the delayed appointments has something to do um, with maybe other commitments? Yes. Okay. Safe to say. Yes. Does that delayed announcement impact your preparation for playbooks? And... Nope. Nope. We talked about it. Uh, we already... 
getting our stuff in our XOs for our offense, for our defense. Um, I got a great staff put together. I got some uh, older guys who've been around for a long time, and they understand what it's all about. Uh, so we lean on them at times. Um, but I think we have a very diverse staff. So, um, you know, it's, it's not impeding us to get to where we need to go. At the end of the day, it's all ball. It's only so many defense you can play. There's only so many offensive plays that you can have out there, depending on what you want to call them. I know cities are not announced. I'm not going to dig for them. But this current iteration of the XFL will operate differently than its predecessor. How will your team develop rapport with its namesake community? Boots on the ground once we get named. Um, boots on the ground, uh, going to the communities, going to the schools, talking to them, um, being out there, showing that we, we care about the community, uh, being a part of it, uh, doing things with the kids. And at the end of the day, if we can get the kids going, you know, the kids always get mom and dad to go somewhere, right? So they'll get them to come out to watch. I know there's a big event going on, so I don't want to hold you up. So thank you for your time. Appreciate, appreciate it. My conversations obviously did not provide any big news. However, there were a few interesting things to point out. First being, Whaley mentioned team coaching staffs will be completed by late September, early October to ensure teams will be appropriately prepared for the November draft. He also confirmed the league has been sending out invitations for the upcoming draft. I am, however, surprised by the league's lack of communication with showcase attendees regarding potential Major League Football contract offers. Back on June 17th, Former Los Angeles Wildcats tight end Kalius Robertson posted on his Twitter account that he had received a contract offer from Major League Football. Back on June 1st, Robertson posted a snapshot of his invite to the upcoming HBCU showcase on July 16th. I can't help but think the XFL would want to protect its own interest and address the potential issues of players signing contracts with competing leagues, many of which are two-year contracts and only have release clauses for players offered opportunities from the National Football League. Second. Coach Woodson mentioned his offensive and defensive coordinators are in place. Despite fulfilling their current commitments, Woodson is already working with both coordinators and believes his team will be as prepared as any other XFL squad for the 2023 season. And lastly, I tried to find a way to touch on cities while adhering to the off-limits line of questioning. None of the head coaches really slipped any information, yet maybe it's just me. But if you go back and listen to Coach Becht again, it kind of sounds like he somewhat began to pronounce a city, but I'll let you determine that for yourself. Overall, I had somewhat limited access and time with each of the XFL staff members. I tried to ask questions that haven't previously been asked or discussed, while trying to get some new information. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by former New York Guardians tight end Jake Sutherland to discuss his time in the XFL in 2020. Welcome, Jake. After several of changes and correspondences, we finally have a chance to make this happen. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss your professional football journey and your participation at the XFL showcases at Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. First thing, congratulations on the engagement. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm uh, fairly recently engaged myself and going through the whole process of preparing for the wedding. So I understand what that's all oh, about. Yeah. So that's <laughs> a full-time job. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Full-time job on top of anything else we got going on. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Since leaving Moorhead state, you have earned a few opportunities in professional football. First with the Atlanta legends yep. and the Alliance of American football. And then with the New York guardians and the XFL, both situations, neither were able to see their season completed. How does both leagues' abrupt end impact an athlete 
who's trying to establish yourself as a professional football player? And does it leave a sense of unfinished business? I think that's the right word for it is, is unfinished business and not being satisfied with where I finished, right? I got to both of those leagues, very excited to finally start my professional career. And then they both end. It's definitely unsettling to kind of have that happen, both mentally and physically, because there's so much preparation, both mentally and physically that go into it. But also just the way my mindset works and the way I've kind of gone through life is it just kind of keeps me motivated as well, right? I didn't get to that point I wanted to get to. So I'm going to keep working as hard as I have been and even harder to get to that point again and also be better than when I was there. So it definitely affects people differently, though, for sure. You've had a decent amount of time away from playing the game. So what does your life consist of during this extended break from football? And how do you keep yourself ready to perform at a high level in a moment's notice if you get a call? So just kind of to give you a quick background and that sort of stuff, I graduated with a degree in exercise science. So health and fitness is part of my passion, right? Strength and conditioning is is something I'm going to be involved with for the rest of my life. So it's not hard for me to be ready at a moment's notice. XFL ended in 2020. I've been ready to play again since the day that league ended. I'm always going to be ready to play football. That's just how my mindset's always been. So I've constantly been training and lifting and getting my field work in to be ready for that moment's notice. And like I said, that's just part of my nature as well. My work ethic has always been something I've been proud of. I'm also that type of person where I feel like I can work harder, but that's just everybody, right? Everybody feels like they can do something more. But I've always worked out. I've always stayed in shape the grind or that work that you have to put in to get prepared is something I'm not used to. It's something I'm always going to do. So it comes pretty naturally for me, for sure. Speaking of that something more, you had someone of a limited role with the Guardians offense. Have you altered your training to focus on key areas to improve your skill sets and ultimately your future opportunities? Yes, I've made some changes in my training. I focused a lot on my speed development. And just perfecting my craft, working on the little details, working on the small things that makes you a better athlete. That also will translate into me being a better tight end, right? I've noticed the things I needed to work on. I've been told the things I needed to work on. So I've implemented a lot of those things into my training to get better at those things. And luckily, I've had a lot of time to do that, which is awesome. And by the way, I did not mean that as a slight, I just, as an observation, guardian season ticket holder. So I attended both gotcha. home games and watched the game. So I'm just like, your involvement in the offense just seemed, mm-hmm. you know, not as involved in the passing game and whatnot. So yeah. that's why I brought it up. So it wasn't meant as a slight. No, no, no. I didn't no, think that good. through no, when I, I totally, asked it. <laughs> no, totally, totally understand. No, it's definitely something I've always felt like I could have been utilized more. I could have produced more. That's always even when in college when I was used a lot, right? So that's always part of my mindset is that I can always be used more. So like to kind of go off of that, like it's, it was frustrating for me to not get the time that I should have got because I felt like I should have had more time, especially involved in the offense. I was involved in special teams a lot, but as far as offensively, I got the short end of the stick, which is that's part of the issue with these developmental leagues as well is, they want to see a lot of success very fast. And, and being that player who's never had that NFL experience, they're probably going to go with, and that, that meant a lot in the, in the Alliance as well, is I was one of the only guys that didn't have any NFL experience. So I kind of got the short end of the stick. But I take that with a grain of salt. It doesn't hinder my work ethic or, or my work performance. 
just go to practice every day. Like it's my job because it is my job. Right. And then hopefully my work ethic in turn produces more time on the field, which was starting to happen with both leagues right when they both folded. So, but like I said, I take it with a grain of salt and I'm always looking to improve. So that's kind of how I handle all those things. As a free agent seeking opportunities, I understand that you attended Friday's uh, showcase in Washington, D.C. How did this opportunity come about? Did the XFL reach out to you or your representation about participating in the showcase, or did you take it upon yourself to register? I took it upon myself to register. I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to waste any time. Like I said, I've been ready for the past two years to play again. So as soon as that opportunity showed itself, I was ready to, to hop on board. So I took it upon myself to register, and then I got approved to attend the showcase. And it was the very first one, which is which is pretty cool. I'm assuming you've participated in two showcases from both iterations of the XFL. Mm-hmm. How do they compare, Fridays, compared to the one back in 2019? So back in 2019, I actually did – so the XFL was scouting the Spring League showcase. Before they were an actual season, there was like a three- or four-day showcase with the game. I did that showcase because I knew they were scouting it and it involved a lot more than just a showcase, right? I loved that showcase. It was very fun. It was more than just one day. You kind of go into a little bit more relaxed, right? With this showcase, it's one day, not even one day, it's five hours. There's a lot more pressure for sure. I loved this showcase. It was so much fun. I knew a lot of the guys there. It was, like I said, it was just fun. It was fun to get back out there, get competitive again and really just showcase my talents with all these guys that I know and have met before and in hopes to play in the XFL. Recently, the XFL announced its partnership with Breakaway Data. While Mm -hmm. attending the Florida Showcase, I noticed Breakaway Data's setup, and I even had the opportunity to ask the Senior Vice President of Player Personnel, Doug Whaley, about some of the differences in being incorporated into the showcases. As a player, how does those new measurables and technology impact your performance on Friday? compared to the past showcases you participated in? So the breakaway data is is really interesting to me, right? I'm an exercise science major. Once I found out what that stuff was, I also asked some questions in terms of what it does. It's kind of learning more about it. The breakaway data is definitely something that's going to be very, very utilized and and very helpful when you get into a season because it's going to measure things like it measures your biomechanics, right? It measures top end speed. Um, So it's going to help. Those are the couple of things that it covers over it's a very broad thing, right? So in terms of like recovery and and things like that, we can get a lot more strict in terms of what we need to do to fully recover for the next game. So I loved testing that stuff out for them. It's something that I think is going to be very, very helpful in the coming seasons with the XFL for sure. They mentioned that's going to be player owned. Yep. Do you own your data right now? So you already know what to do with it or how to alter your plans? I think, I think it's going to be player owned. I would imagine they're going to be sending us the stuff. I'm assuming they're going to be sending us all the the testing measurements and everything like that, um, along with that data, so we can have those things. I don't have it currently with me or like anything. I would imagine in the coming weeks or months that they're going to be sending all that stuff out to everybody that participated, though, which is definitely going to be helpful in terms of my training to get ready for. Now I can learn what I can work on from a, a biomechanics standpoint. It's also good to see what they're seeing, right? Yes. I think that's very important if they are judging you or rating you on a certain type of criteria and you can kind of use that information. Maybe you don't have other players' information, but to kind of 
understand what they're looking at. Yep, is I think sure. important to, for a player. I mean, I was a collegiate soccer player back in the day, so I'm obviously never mm-hmm. played professional or anything. But I could see how that information would be very important for my own yep. personal use, let alone somebody like you that's trying to uh, make a living doing it. Yeah, for sure. Let's rewind a bit back to 2020. Rules okay. aside, how would you compare your time with the Atlanta Legends? and your time with the New York Guardians? Were there significant differences between the two leagues as a player? I felt like the XFL was very organized. I thought it, I felt like it was a lot more organized than the Alliance, unfortunately. That's just the way that it, the way that both the leagues were ran. We knew a lot more with the XFL. We That's really the only way to describe it, to be honest with you. Um, the organization and the people surrounding the XFL, it was a lot more personal, right? From a player standpoint, that's when I'm, I'm looking back on it, right? When I was in the middle of both the leagues, having the time of my life, right? Getting played to playing professional football. It was the time of my life, right? Looking back on it though, I definitely see the differences in how organized and unorganized the AAF was versus the XFL, right? But in terms of how much fun it was, both the leagues were super fun. I think the XFL was a little bit more competitive just from a, number standpoint and the types of players that were in that league and then kind of looking reflecting on myself as well i felt like i grew a lot as a player from the aaf to the xfl just because i finally got the taste of professional football right that's what those leagues are meant for those leagues are meant to develop those players right that are maybe not ready to step foot on the nfl yet right they're not ready for that step so i saw what they're trying to do with these leagues is play professional football, but also develop you as a player as well, right? So that was really cool to see for sure. What was your relationship with Kevin Gilbride and the rest of the Guardians coaching staff? I had a great relationship with all of them. I loved the coaching staff of the Guardians. They were very helpful, very personal. They took so much pride into coaching us, winning, developing us as players that you don't see a whole lot of when it comes to coaching at that level. Like I said, I felt like it was very personal and we could come to them with anything, which was awesome. And I got to play with a guy who's won, what, two Super Bowls? So um, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. How did the Guardians' decision to move away from Matt McGloin and replace him with Luis Perez as a starter impact the team's chemistry, their game planning, but more importantly, your role? So I'm a big believer and we kind of were too as a team as the next man up. So we just saw it as the next man up. We knew both those quarterbacks were more than capable of playing at that level. Um, I think it was just that move at that point was the right decision for that team. Obviously, I had no say in the decision, but like I said, we were a next man up philosophy and next man up team, and that's the way we handled it for sure. Perez's promotion seemed to provide a boost to the team's offensive production. How much of the improved performance was because of his inclusion versus the team just finally clicking because they were in the fourth and fifth week. I think it was the, that clicking that, that you just mentioned. It's hard to take a team that hasn't played a whole lot together, all from different systems, different walks of life, different leagues, right? It's hard to take a, that mesh of a team and make them successful, right? It takes a lot of work. But we grew as teammates. We grew as as this giant family. And we finally started clicking in terms of our identity, right? How we wanted to play football, how we wanted to move on offense, how we wanted to play on defense, 
Um, so it definitely took everybody. I don't think it was just um, one person not to knock Luis because he's an amazing quarterback as well. He's very intelligent. I think he definitely helped out a lot, but it's, I think it was that clicking that we were waiting for. Do you have a particular experience from your memory with the time of the New York Guardians that resonates with you, perhaps even career or life-changing? I think the whole situation with the league has really resonated with me, right? Getting it put in the draft pool, getting drafted, going through mini camp, going through training camp, going through the whole season. I think the whole situation is what sits, it sits so well with me and makes me very satisfied with where, what I've done with my football career. Like I said, with that being said, kind of going back to earlier, I'm never satisfied. I'm definitely not satisfied with only playing five games. I have more in the tank, right? That's why I'm still pursuing it. But definitely that and just the relationships that I created with all these players, there isn't really one significant thing that sticks out. It's just the whole league and everything that happened as a whole that that really sits well with me. Looking back on the XFL, there were some interesting characters and experiences. Notable mm-hmm. highlights include the beer snake at the DC Defenders games, <laughs> the Battle Hawks, Bud Light Seltzer, locker room celebrations. I even recall seeing some from you guys as well. Oh, yeah. Recall if the Guardians had their own unique thing. Um, we did a lot of celebrating in the Bud Light Seltzer lounges after wins, right? We got, a, we got a few opportunities to do that, which was cool. We really just kind of threw a little party, to be honest with you. Shotgun a couple beers. Or a couple of seltzers, I guess. That was that was really it, to be honest with you. We didn't really have any anything that stuck out in terms of like this is a New York Guardians. We were kind of all about business until we won that game, and then we were up in the in the Bud Light Seltzer Lounge having a couple of seltzers. <laughs> Do you recall there was like a small segment of Guardian fans, and I remember seeing them up on the jumbotron all the time because you know I, I was in attendance for the two home games. They were uh, eating cheese. The, the cheese singles. Do you recall ever seeing that? I just never understood what was behind it. I'm like, am I missing something? I'm like, maybe it was more tied to the players that I didn't know. So that's why I, I thought I'd ask him, like, maybe there's a story with the cheese, but it doesn't sound like there is. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there was. Now that you say that though, I do remember like a lot, there was a lot of fans that wore like a lot of headgear at our games. I'm pretty sure. Um, so that's probably one thing that like resonates with the guardians is that, there was a lot of people wearing some crazy outfits. Um, Those gargoyle masks and stuff. Yeah, I the, gar- the gargoyle masks, yeah. The cheese, though, I have no idea where that came from. I'm not going to lie. Weird. <laughs> I, I always saw it, and I, I didn't understand. So I was hoping maybe you had some insight. I didn't want to lead you down that way, but I was like, well, I might have to just dangle the carry a little bit, see if it yeah. you know, sparked a memory. <laughs> Since becoming a professional, you've worn the jersey number 83. Is mm-hmm. it just? number or is there a significant meaning behind the reason why you wear it so growing up i always wore four four was my favorite number 83 there really is no significance to it besides the fact that it is now it's i view it as my professional number i wore four throughout high school i wore 44 in college right four has always been my favorite number i can't wear that number as a professional tight end unfortunately i wish i could because i love that number it's just always been it's been something my dad actually told me the other day that the reason I picked number four was because I love Brett Favre. Guess it didn't do too much for me because I'm not a quarterback, but I still love number four. It's it's always been my number. So I did I view 83 as that professional number for me. It's that next step from college to professional. So I view it as more of like my professional number than anything. Anything from your playing time that 
people don't ask about, but is like very important to who you are as a player and how you approach the game, whether it's a podcast show like myself or other media members or just fans or just don't know about you. And maybe the coaches that are evaluating you don't know. Not that I'm claiming that anybody's listening to this to make a decision, Jake, but I have had Dean Blandino on the show before, so I do have some executives paying a little bit of attention, at least willing to come onto the show. So mm-hmm. here's your opportunity. What is it about you? What is it about your game? What you know that no one knows, or it just it's not as obvious, I guess, that you would like them to know. I feel like as a not only a tight end but football player, I can do everything on the field that you ask me to do. I will block my ass off. I run great routes for a tight end. I have really good hands. I mean, I really everything that I can do as a football player has been put on display, especially in college. Right, played every single special teams, ran routes, blocked. Right, had a fantastic career at Moorhead receiving. So there isn't really one thing that I don't think that nobody knows that I can do. Like I said, because I just feel like I can do anything you ask me to do on the field, right? I could run the ball if you wanted me to, right? I could throw the ball if you wanted me to. I used to play baseball, so I got a pretty good arm, right? So it's it's not the fact that there's one thing because I've ever since I played tight end in college, I've been that hybrid tight end where I line up in the slot, I line up on the line. Um, so I've done everything that I know I can do and people know that I can do. Um, it's just a matter of somebody seeing that out of me because I know if I'm in the right system with the right coaching staff, I can be utilized very, very well and have a very significant role in that offense. So it's just a matter of that being seen. But like I said, I guess that one thing is that I can throw a 60 yard touchdown if you want me to, right? I can play fullback. I can play running back. I can line up out wide. I can play tackle if you want me to, right? I very knowledgeable with the game. I've played for 17 years. So I guess it's that I can do, anything you want me to do on that football field. Which is probably very important for alternative leagues. I guess the roster sizes are not quite Mm -hmm. National Football League roster sizes, even though the XFL has larger roster sizes than the USFL. So probably that mixture, that uh, utility type of player, Mm -hmm. potentially could have more opportunities. For sure. At yesterday's showcase, while talking with Doug Whaley, he mentioned that there are draft pool invites going out. I know you just recently participated on Friday, and just for the record, mm-hmm. everyone knows it's now Monday that we are recording. So it's probably too early to, to have that. But just in case, mm-hmm. have you heard anything about being included into the draft pool? Uh, no, I've not heard anything yet. But like you mentioned, so I did the, the Friday showcase at D.C. Um, it's Monday, right? We, we got eight months. Right. So probably realistically like four months until the draft, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, I believe it's until... November is what they mentioned. Yeah. But I'm very optimistic. I'm not in a rush. I mean, obviously there is some sort of time frame connected to it, but no, I haven't heard anything yet. But like I said, I'm very optimistic with the way I performed at that showcase. I felt like I was the best tight end there. I hope there's other people that saw that as well. Jake, it has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show and talk with me about your XFL and showcase experiences. I wish you the best, and I hope you have another opportunity in the XFL. I would love to, to watch it and ultimately get your big break and fulfill your dreams. If you do return to the XFL in 2023, I would love to have you come back 
again oh, sometimes yeah. and discuss that. you know the continued journey and your team's mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, I would love I would love to be back for sure. I love these. I love podcasts. <laughs> awesome. If some of our listeners wanted to follow you in your journey, where could they do so? So I have Instagram and Twitter. My Twitter is at Jake Smash 4 And then my Instagram, I use a little bit more in terms of like my training. Um, I post a lot of workout videos on there. My Instagram is at Jake Southey 964. Perfect. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. Thank you. I know it must come across as a cliche, but I am truly grateful to have guests who are or were directly involved with the XFL. Having someone like Jake on the show helps us to get a better understanding of the league that we support. After all, the players are the ones who make or break the league. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Let's Talk XFL. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.